Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. If you have a Bible, we're going to go to the book of Exodus chapter 18. The book of Exodus chapter 18. This is a passage of Scripture that is meaning so much to me in my journey at the moment. God has just been screaming at me out of this one passage of Scripture. I've already preached a couple of messages. I've got more to go, and I really do believe God's going to do something. Who's ready for the Word of God? We're going to read out a truckload of Scripture to stay with me. Exodus chapter 18 and verse 2. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. Verse 5, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the desert when he, that's Moses, was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and they went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about how all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. God is faithful. Anybody happy about that? And Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things that the Lord had done for Israel and rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. Jump down to verse 13. The next day, Moses took a seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning until evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. And Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and all these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. Listen now, let me give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God. You must bring their disputes to Him. Teach the people the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people. Men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but you must bring every difficult case to, uh, they must bring every difficult case to you, the simple ones they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. When we find Moses in this passage of Scripture, guys, we find Moses and we find Israel in the most amazing position. Literally, they have been slaves for 400 years, and now they have been delivered out of their captivity. The Red Sea has parted. The plagues have come on the land of Egypt. They are 
out there in the wilderness and they are on their way to the promised land. They're eating every day manna, supernatural food that God is giving to them. They are on the most incredible of journeys. Israel, Moses, is in the most amazing position. But what I love about the Bible is that it doesn't gloss over the challenges that us as God's people encounter, or even that it's leaders and heroes faced in their personal lives. And when we get to parachute in to Moses' life in this moment, we discover Moses in the most amazing position, but Moses is in no way living an amazing life. On this incredible journey, on this moment in his life when he should be filled with a sense of thanksgiving, wonder, where Moses is literally living his dream. We come into his life at this moment and we find about his life that four things are broken. Number one, we find that marriages, Mo, Moses' marriage is not in a healthy place. In verse three, we discover about his marriage that he has sent his wife away. Now, sending his wife away is the same Hebrew word that's used for divorce. He wasn't divorced, but there was clearly a strain in their marriage. Number two, his children had an absentee dad. They've been sent away. Moses is just working, 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 doesn't have time for his wife, conflict in their relationship. Hey, if you've been a shepherd for the last 40 years and now you're the prime minister, I reckon the strain of that role would create some tension in your marriage as well. Come on, anybody, you know what I'm talking about. His kids have an absentee dad. His marriage is not in a good place. Thirdly, Moses has no time for God. He doesn't have any pause in his life, no moment for reflection. He's just working, working, working. And number four, people, his leaders around him have no empowerment. There's just people standing around him. They have no task, no mandate. They haven't been given any jobs to do. Everything just comes back to Moses. He's living his dream. He's in the most amazing position, yet his life is in no way an enviable life. And guys, I want you to understand today, there's nothing wrong with Moses. It's not like anybody out there is a better person. Moses is not in any heinous sin. In fact, Moses in the Bible is called the friend of God. Yet this guy who was so successful in his Christian life finds himself in this point in his journey where his life is clearly not working. Something about his view of life is not creating in him the life that he desires. There's toxicity in Moses. There's challenges in his relationships. There's problems in his soul. There's frustration in his heart. Can you imagine being in a place in your life where the dream you've had for all your life has just come true, yet the life you're living is not one you want at all? That's where we find Moses in this passage of Scripture. Moses, in our passage this morning, is in the middle of a personal crisis. And guys, in our lives, it's important for us to realize that sometimes we're going to go through moments, and they might be blessed and amazing moments, where everything we've experienced in our lives thus far has been getting us ready for what we're in now, yet based on what we've known before, what we see right now, the way we're behaving, we can find ourselves in situations where what we've wanted is finally coming to pass. 
yet our lives can be falling apart at the very same time. How often do we see this in life? A person can dream all their life for that sporting contract, that open door. Finally, they get it. The articles are written. The crowds are cheering their name. Yet internally, everything can be falling apart. A person can believe to be thriving in business, successful in this arena, doing whatever they want to in politics or in media, and suddenly have every door open and their life seems to be just rising and rising, yet at the same time, their world is falling and falling. Does anybody know what I'm talking about today? Why is it? Why can it be? How is it that Moses is in this most amazing position, yet his life is so clearly not what it should be? And the reality is, my friends, is because it is not about just what happens to us in life. What is going to decide how our lives are experienced and whether we like the life that we're living is not going to come back solely to what we experience, but about how we see it. It isn't going to just be about whether good happens to me or challenge happens to me. It's going to be my view, my response, my perspective on what happens to me is going to shape the events of my life. Okay, stay with me because the truth is, guys, about our lives, that in our lives, we are all going to have situations. Now, these situations, we're all going to have them. We're all going to have things that we encounter in our lives. But at the end of the day, it isn't just the situation that defines me. It's my reaction. I mean, I can have any number of things happen to me in my life, and it's not just about where I find myself or the pressures that I encounter. It's what I do with those situations, with what I encounter, that is going to define so much about my internal world, about what happens next. It is my view of the situation that defines my reaction to it. Are you following me today? I mean, in our lives, we all have challenges. We all have challenges. And then based on what we've already experienced, what we've encountered so far, what we know to do, we're going to face that challenge and then we are going to form from our challenge a reaction. So I face something, I react to it, and the way that I react is going to determine how I feel, what is required of me, how I come out of that. It's all going to be based on the challenge and therefore out of my reaction. Let's take it to another level. Let's go from challenge and let's make it a crisis. I don't want anybody out there to think for a moment that just because you know Jesus Christ that you're never going to have a bad hair day. Everybody out there needs a view of God and a view of their Christian faith that is ready for a lot more than just tiptoeing through the tulips every day. I mean, the Bible says the sun, the sun rises on the righteous and on the unrighteous. In other words, just because you know Jesus doesn't mean a bad economy won't touch you. We're all going to face in our lives crisis, crisis. But the thing about a crisis is that what crisis draws out of me is it draws out instinct. I do what I do because I know what I've known. And therefore, I react to it in line with my experiences. Moses has been a shepherd for the last 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. One day it's all changed. Now he's the prime minister. And based on what he knows of his life, he is now responding in line with what he understands. 
with what he perceives. He is acting in line with what he sees. And in our lives, this is true, friends, and to bring it all to just a very simple conclusion, we're all going to know in our lives a stimulus, and then from that stimulus, we're going to form a response. And of far greater consequence to our lives than what the stimulus, crisis, challenge, or situation might be is going to be the way that we see it. Because it is the way that we see it that is going to determine so much of what we do with it. And we don't normally stop and think about that. We don't normally intentionally ever look at our lives with objectivity or intentionality and ask ourselves, is the way I see the right way to see? And that's why sometimes in our lives we encounter things that are beyond our comfort zone. That rock us more than is nice or pleasant. Come on, anybody who's been alive for a week know what I'm talking about? We're all going to face some seasons in our lives where we could call it tough. A crisis. And isn't it amazing how in the hardest seasons God can do the best things? Why is that? Because it is often when life is the toughest that we become the most open to see things differently to the way we've seen them before. We begin to pray a little bit. Hello? We get a little bit humble. We start to question our, our arrogant assumptions. We begin, to, we begin to think differently about what we've always believed is true. We become open to something new. And that's why it can be that in our lives, the toughest seasons can be the best because sometimes it's just the doorway that opens an innovation. It can, it can be that when life is the toughest, that's when God opens the door for us to see something different. And that could be what brings us into a whole new horizon. And what we find here about Moses is we've got Moses in this passage of Scripture and everything is just tough. He is living, he is living his dream, yet for him it's a nightmare. And in the middle of all that, along comes his father-in-law. Okay, let's just parachute into this. Moses' father-in-law comes and he brings with him Moses' wife and his children. He's basically making a statement. Moses, we're about to sort stuff out. Okay, as he arrives, remember that Moses' father-in-law is the only father figure Moses has ever had. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He's never had a nuclear family. He's just living this life. He would have had huge respect for his father-in-law. His father-in-law arrives, and Moses does what I like to do to my father-in-law. He tells him about all the good things that he's doing. Israel came out of Egypt. I'm God's man. You know, look, I'm doing really well. And, you know, Zipporah is nice. It's like, good on you. Well done. This is, this is fantastic. Jethro, sorry. He's like, yeah, this is awesome. Well done. Well done. Well done. And then they all go to bed, and they wake up the next day. And the Bible says that all his father-in-law does is just watch him for a day. Yeah. Moses gets out of bed. He starts working. Lunchtime's approaching. Moses is working. The evening's coming. They're bringing him meals, but Moses just keeps working. The sun sets, and a, an exhausted and bedraggled Moses, who hasn't had a lunch break, he just crawls back to his tent, ignores his children, his wife, lies down on a bed, and he's like, 
Could I just have 10 minutes of silence? And in this amazing setting comes his father-in-law with a question. What is this you are doing? What is this you are doing? Could you help me and say it all out loud? Everybody everywhere. One, two, three. What is this you are doing? Turn to the person next to you. What is this you are doing? Someone on the other side. What is this you are doing? He invites Moses to do something so powerful. To ask a question about the stimulus and the response. About the crisis and the instinct. He inserts a question in here. He goes, okay, okay. I know you think that there are events and then you've got to do something with them. I know that there is a situation and you've got to have a reaction. But I want to ask you something. I want to ask you, what is this you are doing? It's a self-locating question. He's saying, Moses, we've got to locate you because if we're going to deal with this, we've got to find out why you see yourself the way you do in the world that surrounds you. Oh, man, self-locating questions. When you start to read the Bible, you discover so often in Scripture, God asks people self-locating questions. In fact, one of the very first questions in the Bible, God asked of Adam in the garden, he said, where are you? Anybody out there think God didn't know? The question wasn't for God, the question was for Adam. Where are you? And Adam's like, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He's saying, Adam, if I'm going to help you, I've got to first help you to locate yourself. When Jacob was hanging on to the ankle of Jesus and the dawn was breaking, and he's literally holding on to that ankle, God asked Jacob a question. What is your name? He said, my name is Jacob. Jacob means he who grasps at the heel. He's saying, that's right. You're living out the way you see yourself. It's all through the Bible, guys. God says, if I'm going to help you, first I've got to help you to locate yourself. I've got to get you to understand where you are now. And one of the greatest things that we could do is we're starting a series called A Second Look, is we could all start with a look. A look at where we are, a look at the way we're living. If we could honestly locate ourselves right now, how am I responding to the situation of my marriage? How do I perceive the environment of my workplace? Where is God in the middle of this situation? What is my understanding of this situation and therefore the impact that it's going to have on my life? And is it in line with God's will? Is it right for me? Or is it just something that I'm doing because of situation and reaction? Because of challenge, because of habit, because I'm doing what I know to do. And literally, this is what Moses says to his father-in-law. He says, you know what? I, I wake up and the people start coming in with problems. And I'm just trying to help him. I mean, you've got to have empathy for Moses because his motives are great. He's not just sitting back saying, it's all about me. He's not doing that. He's saying, he's saying I'm trying to help. I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to make a difference. I'm trying to help somebody here. 
And this is what his father-in-law said. And maybe God's saying it to us today. He said, what you are doing is not good. Now, guys, this is what I can tell you. A crisis doesn't mean that you will have humility. But humility precedes all innovation. If you and I cannot get to a point in our lives where we are humble enough to realize that what we think, that the way we see, that our understanding could be faulty, then no changes ever come to our lives. And in many ways, the next nine minutes of this message are not going to help you at all. Because at the end of the day, what is required of us to change is at least the knowledge that what I'm doing right now might not be the best thing. That my perspective might not be the right perspective. That my understanding could be faulty. That my view could be flawed. That there could be a better way for this to be understood. That maybe I need to open myself up to something different. And then Jethro said this, listen, he said, man, Moses, if you would listen to me, then maybe this would help you and God could be speaking to you right now. He said, number one, Moses, if we're going to get this all sorted out, you have got to be the people's representative before God. At the moment you're putting the people at the top, you've got to put God at the top. If you don't prioritize your connection with Him, every piece of leadership you're attempting to do is going to be redundant. This is not about Moses. This is about what God's doing. And if you don't stay connected to Him, then really you're just a figurehead at best. So firstly, Moses, you get with God. Number two, you need to get some broad-based concepts that allow these people to have a foundation for how they can live their lives. Number three, you need to instruct them. Number three, he said, you need to live as an example. You've got to show people how to live. And implicit in that is the thought, Moses, you better get this marriage of yours sorted out and you better start parenting your boys. Because if you don't, what credibility do you have to be the leader of this nation anyway? And number four, you need to empower some leaders who can carry the bulk of the work. And if you'll do that, then maybe everybody's going to find fulfillment and this thing is going to have a future and you won't be living a nightmare in the middle of your destiny. Maybe good things could be around the corner. And guys, what Jethro, what God brought into Moses' life that day was a second look. A new way of seeing the situation of his life. This whole series over these next few weeks is to invite us to think about our lives and the way that we're living and to ask ourselves the question, is there toxicity in us? Is there limitation and frustration in us? Do we feel unable to step into another season? Is there, a, is there an inner confidence that God's got something better? And if it is lacking or missing, or if we're just filled with, I'm living a nightmare, John, then maybe we've got to ask ourselves the question, is there a missing element? Is there something wrong with our view? Maybe we need the God of a second look to show us something different as well. Am I talking to anybody today? What's amazing about this is that literally what happens to Moses is he's just caught working, working. Oh, a problem. I gotta, I gotta do it. Oh, oh, 
He's in the middle of his dream. This is what he's wanted his whole life. His whole life was to get to this moment. And now Jethro says, what are you doing? And Moses is thinking, I'm just trying to make it. I'm just trying to keep on top. I don't even know what to do. I don't even want to answer that question. The, a second look is given and innovation is made. And do you know what happens next? Exodus 18 is followed by Exodus chapter 19. And in Exodus 19, Moses climbs a mountain. And in Exodus chapter 20, Moses is given by God the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments have formed the basis of truth, the basis of morality for every successful civilization in the history of the world. The greatest embodiment of truth given by God was given to Moses. Ten summary bullet points on which you can build a foundation for a successful life and a prosperous culture were given to Moses right after his life looked like it was unmanageable and about to come tumbling down. And maybe, maybe, maybe there is somebody hearing this message today who feels like the pressure is too great, the parenting scenario is too much, the changes in the work pressure place are beyond your ability to cope, and you might just be right there, and right now God is wanting to bring a second look to me and to you to show us that our greatest days haven't yet been lived. That on the other side of an innovation, on the other side of a new perspective, could be God depositing something greater in us than we have yet to see. Oh man, I'm praying and I'm believing because I believe over these next few weeks, God is going to open up our minds, our hearts for an innovation. I'm praying that God is going to awaken something within us because here's the challenge. Is that naturally, this is what we do with our lives. If we're not careful, we have no space. We just have situation and reaction. We just have a challenge and we have a solution. We have a crisis and we just do something. And based on your maturity, the breadth of your experiences, the gut instinct that you've been blessed with, this is either helping or hindering right now. But the truth is for every single one of us that none of us have yet arrived. And our Christian faith is actually inextricably linked to a thought that we have to live our lives differently than just being creatures of instinct, than being people of set rotation. We have to live our lives with something extra. There needs to be a gap, a gap, a gap, a gap in our lives. Because if we don't create a gap, we create no room for God. And the Christian life is not just about me doing what I know to do. You doing what you know to do. It's about leaving room for the creator of the universe to show us what to do. To speak into our hearts with supernatural guidance. To give us wisdom. To give us a second look. Listen, maybe those challenges in your marriage... Before you get in the next situation and you arc, stimulus, response, action, reaction, crisis, instinct. Before fight or flight kicks in, maybe we need to step back from it 
and just say, God, show me. Before I just get busy looking at the urgent emails and reacting to it with just, oh, I've got to work 60, 80 hours. I've got to get through this thing. Maybe we need to take a step back. Say, God, would you show me? You promised me. Us, guys, God promised us a pathway of life. Right? I think he wasn't kidding. Anybody believe me when I say that? So maybe we need to invite God into our situations. Let me tell you about my lesson of 2016. In 2016, we built the Arise Center, a massive building project, huge step of faith financially. Our church was expanding, seven locations, 90 staff, lots of things. And I'm still the kid who grew up in Hillsborough, who'd never been part of a church of 500 people before this one began. Do you understand? Like, there's more staff than there were leaders and the largest church I've ever been part of. And, and it, was just, it was just big. And in the middle of it all, I felt God say to me this one phrase. In the middle of 2016, when it was just work, hard, fighting the devil, building a building, taking ground, I felt God just say to me, John, the gap between stimulus and response is where you're going to find wisdom. It's the pause. It's the pause. The Christian faith is about actually putting God bigger than this. That's what worship is. God is smaller than this. When I allow this to trump any room for him to move. But this gap, that's where we find wisdom. Psalm says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Why? Because you might have a stimulus, but the gap before your response, that's where you're going to find wisdom. Proverbs puts it like this. It says, it says about the wicked, I've got to find it. I've got to, I've got to read the scripture. I've got to read the scripture. Psalm, sorry, chapter 10 and verse 4. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In his thoughts, there's no room for God. So this thing of innovation has just got me because I believe that God is wanting to come to our lives to first ask us, what, what are you doing? And then to say, listen, could I give you a different perspective? This gap, this pause. Isn't it amazing that in our Christian faith, what is right there from the beginning, from the first dawn of creation, has been the notion that we would stop one day out of every seven, that we would pause? That God literally said, listen, you're not just going to keep doing stuff all the time, but I'm going to make you. Have a moment in your life where you don't do, where you stop doing. And, and, and literally, literally God promises that if you work six days instead of seven, you'll be more productive. God literally said, if you will knock one seventh of your available space, you will be more successful. Why? Because you will create room. For God to show you something different. Team, in our lives, we need to make sure that we aren't living as unbelieving believers. 
that we don't live by habit, but we live with intentional devotion. And the way that we live with intentional devotion is that we invite God to come in and show us something different. We make room for God. The gap between stimulus and response is where we find wisdom. The pause between crisis and instinct is where we discover the new way God has for us. Let me read for you one final passage of Scripture. God showed me this passage when I was on my holidays just recently, and man, it has been rocking my life. In Isaiah chapter 22, I'm closing with this, but in Isaiah chapter 22, we've got Israel literally already being taken over by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army. The Babylonian army, the first empire, world empire in the history of the world. And that army, the Babylonian army, has already conquered most of Israel and is now camped outside the walls of Jerusalem. The last bastion of Israel's nationhood is one fortified city and the most powerful army in the history of the world is camped outside it. And this is what the Bible says they did in their moment of crisis. Verse 8 of Isaiah 22, you looked in that day to the weapons in the palace. You saw the city of David had many breaches in its defenses. You stored up water in the lower pool. You counted the buildings. Anybody think any of these things is bad? Doesn't say they turned to idols. No one's throwing their children off the city walls. They just looked how many weapons they had. They saw the breaches in the walls. They counted the buildings. They stored up water. They built a reservoir. And the second half of verse 11 simply just says, but you did not look to the one who made it. I was on holiday, and if I could show you it in my Bible, it literally just says, I've underlined it. You saw, you stored, you counted, you built, but you did not look to me. You created no pause. Guys, I'm, I really am done. I'm out, I'm out of time. But I just want to tell you that what we need in our lives, if we're going to know what God wants for us, we need to make some space for prayer. We need to live not by habit, but by devotion. We need to be a people that ask God for a second look. If you're hearing this message today and in any arena of your life, there's disquiet of the soul. There's overwhelming pressure. That crisis may be God's invitation for innovation to come to our lives. That feeling of being overwhelmed, that could be God saying, come to me. Let me show you. Let's not trivialize God's word and make innovation a cutesy phrase. We serve the God who actually can change us. We serve the God who can show us a better way. Come to me, he says. And I believe that this year God has wanted to do greater things. I, 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 I truly believe there's been people that you've just felt like everything in your life is just getting sucked from you. And God's saying, no, I want to give you a second look. I want to show you a better way. 
because your life is not done yet and your greatest contribution has not been made yet. And your, your period of significance in your life is yet to be born. Moses could have easily thought that the exodus was it, that the deliverance was it, and now we need another person. And God said, no, Moses, in you is the Ten Commandments, and they're about to change the world. And in you, my friend, God has got a greater plan. He's got another day. Your life isn't over. Your best days have yet to be lived. There's something greater on the inside of you. And God's saying, come to me, the God of the second look. I, I want to pray for a couple of groups of people out there this morning. But first, I just as I talk about three steps back, I felt like God was speaking to my heart about some people that are in this room right now. And in your life, it just feels like you're living a nightmare. It just feels like it's overwhelming. And I pray that you feel tremendously comforted that one of the greatest heroes in our faith found himself without a script for the challenges that he was facing too. Let that moment of honesty from God's Word let you know that firstly, just because you feel undone, it doesn't mean God's left you alone. And just because life seems overwhelming, it doesn't mean that God can't take you through it. But I'd just love to pray for you. I'd love to pray that firstly, that God would just encourage your heart this morning. Secondly, I want to I be bold enough to pray that God would literally just open our eyes to see something different, something new. Maybe it's just that, I, I remember going through a challenging season just a few years ago. I, it just came into my mind, so I've got to share this. I went through a super challenging season and it, literally it was big. It threatened some things in my life and I felt like there was nothing I could really do that was going to take away this threat. And I just felt like God to speak this word into my heart. This is what He said. It's in, in the Bible. So it could be for all of us. He said, stand still and you'll see the salvation of God. And it was just a gap between my crisis and my instinct. I was like, I got I to gotta, I gotta work. But even if I was to go to work to my maximum capability, it still would not be enough. I knew that. I got a second look. If I would worship God, if I would worship God with my stillness, then He would do what I couldn't do. And I, I reckon there's some people out there this morning and you just needed to hear that. I don't know who you are, but I just want to pray for you. Everybody just close your eyes right now. If, you, if you're saying, John, that really just resonates with me, could you take a hand or two and just slip them up? Because I want to pray for you. There's a bunch of hands, a bunch of hands going up. Father, right now in the mighty name of Jesus, I thank you that for each and every person reaching out to you today, that you love them, that you care for them, that you, you've already written every day of their lives. You're intricately concerned about every event and every pressure. And God, you feed, you feed the birds of the air. And God, you clothe the lilies of the field. And God, you can look after every single one of us. So we look to you, our Jehovah Jireh, our healer, our provider, our restorer, the God of our peace. And I ask you for your hand to be over each and every person. Calm, quiet waters, breathe strategy. God, show us what you have. We believe in the name of Jesus for situations to turn around and for lives to be made alive again. In the mighty name of Jesus, 
in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, church, let's sing one more time together. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at Arise Church and at John Cameron NZ.